welcome to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of iRelaunch, and your host. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners who are actively relaunching to make sure to register and upload your resume to our iRelaunch job board for candidates who are looking to relaunch their careers and employers come specifically to look for people who are on career breaks to recruit them for their career re-entry roles and programs. So let's move on now to our podcast conversation. I'm really excited today to be speaking with Jill Johnson. Jill is the co-founder and CEO of the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership, IFL. as an abbreviation, based in Newark, New Jersey. IFL was founded in 2002. It's an independent nonprofit organization that supports economic development through entrepreneurship. As a 30-year champion for Black businesses, Jill is a pioneering voice for inclusive entrepreneurial ecosystems and creating a new paradigm for access to capital conversation. She's the driving force behind a new initiative, the making of Black Angels, to drive diversity and inclusion within the investor ecosystem. Jill is a member of the Women's Forum of New York, the Women Business Collaborative, and Harvard Alumni Entrepreneurs. In 2022, Jill was named one of Crane's New York Business Whole Health Heroes for her work creating pathways for Black and Latinx entrepreneurs and small business owners to have entrepreneurial success. Jill has a BA in economics from Harvard and is married with four amazing sons. Jill, welcome to 321 I Relaunch. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. Well, we're excited to have this conversation and You and I were just talking before we started recording here, and I wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about the early days of your career and what happened when you started having kids and what your how your career evolved at that time. Yeah, well, the early days of my career, you know, I'll actually go back to Goldman Sachs. That's where I started in the investment banking financial analyst program in mergers and acquisitions. And I knew very early on uh, that I wanted to have a family and a larger family. I come from a family of three of us. Uh, I have a sister and a brother. And I always felt weird that it was an odd number to me. So I decided early on that it was either going to be two or four. And I was leaning toward the four. And my parents, I was, my parents were young when I was born. And so I thought that I would follow the same path. And at Goldman, you know, one of the things that was interesting, it was back in the early nineties, during a time when you just worked all the time, I literally was, uh, saw the light of day, a handful of days in a year. Mm-hmm. And I did not feel that that was conducive. I did not feel that there was a path to being successful in a career there and having a family. And I chose family and I have four sons today. You know, when I look at uh, kind of the Goldman earning trajectory, maybe that would have been nice, but probably at the expense of three of the four. So Mm -hmm. um, I would choose the four any day over any amount of money. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I also am the mother of four, and I had that same discussion with myself, the two or the four and the odd number, because I'm one of three, and I worked in investment banking, so I'm feeling a lot of parallels there. Um, so, um, all right, so you're having the 
your kids. Um, what's happening on the career side while while you're you're growing your family? Are you taking a complete time off, or is there something you're doing on the side? So, how did that evolve? Well, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, meaning that people are used to working all the time. Mm -hmm. And when we had our first son, I was supposed to be on a hiatus from uh, the the business that I was working with with my parents. And my husband was transitioning to a dot-com startup at the time. So while I was home with our uh, first son, I was supposed to be sort of winding down the company that he had and just tying up a few loose ends to help him out. Well, I had a friend who ended up asking me for help writing a business plan. She figured, oh, you're home with a, a baby, not doing anything, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> not doing anything. That's right. You know, and, and she said, can you help with a business plan? I said, sure. I thought it would be interesting to work on. And that then morphed into several years of working on business plan. This was during the dot-com boom. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it's flexible while he was sleeping i would do work while he was you know just kind of up gurgling um you know i might be patting him on the back and reading something so it was it was great and i guess you could say it was multitasking some people would say oh you're taking your attention away from your son but I view it as I was doing something that was also keeping me stimulated, fulfilled, you know, using um, my expertise that I had developed. So I was still feeling like a whole person. Mm -hmm. And again, that's mm -hmm. not at all to suggest that people who leave the workforce altogether are not whole and fulfilled in some way. But I think that there are people, people that I have conversations with who do end up feeling like I'm giving all of myself to my to my baby and I'm losing myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's a piece of it for me and having this component that I could work on when I wanted to do it and during the hours it made sense for me, I really felt like I was, again, doing something that um, was very stimulating and enjoyable and worthwhile for myself. Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing schedule control there being a key piece of it and, and work that is really interesting and engaging that mm -hmm. you were able to do on your own terms and somewhat flexibly um, while, mm -hmm. while you're, you're growing your family. So that's, that's pretty great that you were able to do that kind of work during that period in your life. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad that I had that experience because it has given me a different mindset about people who have family obligations in that way and being able to manage work and the family obligations. It was very difficult finding childcare that I thought was suitable, even when the, the kids got a little bit older and it was, you know, kind of the, the daycare time. Um, we never really went the daycare route. We identified preschools that we thought were amazing opportunities, which required a drive 30 minutes from our house. But they all went to this one school that I thought was an amazing opportunity for them to be in a stimulating learning environment. Again, it was having the flexibility of working for myself that enabled me to do that. It's something that as an employer, 
we try to do with our team members, but we've had many people who start here when their children are young and they might even start part-time on a consulting basis because they do believe that we are losing a tremendous amount of value by not being able to tap into people who need more flexibility because they might be raising families or caring for uh, loved ones. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about IPOL in, in just a minute. I want to ask you many more questions about that. Before we get there, can you um, fast forward a little bit and tell us what happened next career-wise and I guess it coincides with family-wise. And what did you end up doing uh, after your four children were, were born and maybe in preschool? Yeah, so when I think about the early days of the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership, what I'm thinking now and you're reminding me of is that I had two more children since launching the Institute for Entrepreneurial mm-hmm. Leadership. So mm-hmm. my children were really young. It somewhat feels a bit of like a bit of a blur and, you know, at the time, I probably didn't think too much of it, but I knew that there was something that I wanted to do and I had children. So there wasn't a, but I have children, therefore I cannot move forward. I just had to move forward at a pace that made sense for me. As a mom that had young children, my husband traveled a lot. He was a, he's been a consultant for the majority of his career. He was traveling a bunch at the time. And so I had to do what I had to do to manage. And I think that one of the things that is a challenge for so many parents that have these multiple responsibilities is the external pressure of what you should be doing. And Mm -hmm. so it is um, you, in order to stay on the career path, you must uh, hire a nanny and have all these, you know, outsource the raising of your children. For me, that wouldn't work. That just was not something that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. And so I had to move at a pace that was comfortable for me. I will tell you that through that time, there were times that I was taking calls in the bathroom because, you know, maybe the baby had woken up and was crying a bit. I was not one of those moms that felt the need to every second make sure that the baby was quiet and not crying. And as a result, my children did learn how to self-soothe. They were um, very pleasant as, as babies, as children. And so I think it was a very, there was a very healthy balance my kids all played sports and all played sports um, and, and continue to play sports. Times when I'm driving to the game, I drop them off because you have to be there early. And then I'm out in the parking lot taking a call or doing work. So it really is about finding what works for you. Mm-hmm. And I was um, struck by your comments earlier where you said you were working with your parents um, in an entrepreneurial venture. Your husband was winding down an entrepreneurial venture and you start Eiffel. And there's there's such a, a strong theme of entrepreneurship here. And I wanted to know if you could give us a little background on did you grow up around entrepreneurship or is that something that happened later in your parents' lives when you helped them? And how do you think it became such a central theme in your life and in terms of what you developed professionally? Yeah, my parents were entrepreneurs. They had a newspaper publishing business for about 20 years. So my parents were, were in business together, God bless them, working together for that period of time. They did not come from a family of entrepreneurs, although 
growing up in segregation, they did have the benefit, especially my mother in Kansas City in a, you know, a major metropolitan area, of seeing Black businesses. So it was not something with which she was unfamiliar, mm-hmm. but she didn't necessarily, uh, neither of them necessarily had people in their families that were entrepreneurs. I will say that now looking back, there was a, a history and a pattern of being willing to take some risks, risk of moving from uh, Kansas and Missouri, where they grew up, to Iowa, where my father had his first job out of graduate school, moved to, two of them moving together to uh, Michigan, and I was born in Iowa, moving mm-hmm. to Michigan to pursue higher education, and then moving to New Jersey. You know, to even take those steps to be willing to move to a new place where you don't know anyone, that's taking risks. And my parents um, came together with the newspaper where my mother's background is uh, communications. My father's background is higher education. And they saw a need. And they have always been activists where they saw a need. My mother especially was part of uh, different protests and very active during the civil rights movement. And so when they saw a need in the community where we lived, they brought their talents and their energies together. My father's a great networker and builder of relationships. So between that and her talent in communication, they came together and did a newspaper where both of those are, uh, those, those, all those skill sets are essential. So yeah, they started the newspaper. I was young, I don't know, maybe middle school or so when they started the newspaper. And so I grew up in that small business household, seeing mm-hmm. what that was like, seeing when things were good, seeing when advertisers didn't pay on time. And so they were scrambling to make ends meet. But it was, it was great to understand what that small business culture was all about. So I'm very blessed and thankful. And, you know, I think that the biggest benefit was really seeing someone start something from an idea, having a vision for something and implement it. And now I think that for me is something that carries through where I see a problem, something that needs to be addressed. If I can come up with a vision, a way to solve it, then I have the confidence that I can actually implement it and I can do something about it. All right. So so that's a really great lead in to, you know, this podcast is essentially about being an entrepreneur. You, you work with entrepreneurs, you advise them and help them, but you're also an entrepreneur um, while you're doing that. Um, can you take us back to the early days of when you were first founding Eiffel and then um, and tell us, like, what were some of the first things that you did and how did you evolve at the beginning? actually, and then into what what the organization is today? Early days, it was, how do we help more business owners succeed, especially business owners from historically excluded populations that have limited access to resources, especially capital? You know, I think the, the real motivation there was that when my parents decided after 20 years that they wanted to retire and do some other things, they unfortunately had not built the business in a way that they could extract the value. So they didn't have the wherewithal 
to sell the business, which would have created a different wealth trajectory for me and my siblings. That was not something that was due to any inadequacy uh, on their part. It's not something that they knew that the, that concept hadn't, was just not one that was ever introduced. I knew about that and had that introduction through my work at Goldman Sachs, right? So mm -hmm. uh, there I had an opportunity to see the wealth that is created, the tremendous wealth that is created when people start businesses, are able to grow the value in the company. The company can live outside of the founder and they're able to have an exit. That again, for many business owners, it's just not something that's, that is the focus. It is kind of their day-to-day -day existence and it's a great form of self-employment. And I think that that's what a lot of people need to really think about. What is the end game for the business? And even if it is a, a dry cleaners, a consulting practice, there are people out there who would see value in taking over and acquiring what you have created. For me, that was unfortunate. And I wanted to take my knowledge of how that works and how that can work and how it can create wealth to share that with more business owners in the Newark area to start. That was where we started. We now have a national footprint, but originally we started our work locally in Newark, New Jersey. Hmm. And then can you talk about what was the day-to-day, -day, like what were you actually doing with the entrepreneurs? Yeah. Um, yeah. So day-to-day, -day, I was doing hands-on work, high-touch hands-on work. That's what I believe was always missing. So you have to remember back in uh, 2002, there were not all of the entrepreneurial programs that exist today, where right. it's now in every college, every... Uh, you know, continuing education, it's, it's all over, right? There is just an abundance of support for small businesses. Back then, that didn't really exist. There were some resources, especially resources that were SBA supported. Mm -hmm. However, in my view, it was not necessary. It was, it was helpful, but it wasn't necessarily the high touch that I felt was needed. It's great. You know, you can tell me how to cook something, unless you, Carol, are standing right there next to me, it likely is just not going to come out well because that is not my thing. And, um, you know, it's not what I do. So we take that same approach that you can tell entrepreneurs, small business owners, how to do a website. If that is not their thing, the website still is not going to work so well. So we've always had a high touch hands-on approach. So that's what I was doing. I was spending my time and essentially providing consulting expertise, the same kind that I had done for people who were, uh, for whom I was writing the business plans, except those people had resources to pay. Mm -hmm. The people who we decided we wanted to help and support don't have the resources to pay. Why don't they have the resources to pay? due to the historical exclusion from access to capital. If you don't have capital, you cannot hire the experts that you need, which creates a vicious cycle of never being able to get your, your business on a path to, to growing. 
So were you doing actual angel investing or you were arranging for capital to come in from other sources? No, originally we weren't focused on the capital at all. Our initial belief was that there was plentiful capital. However, people needed to get their businesses in a capital ready state. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't the understanding of how to do that. Right. Today, so fast forward, Today, I think that there is a lot of education that's needed. Again, if you don't have entrepreneurs in your family, in your circle, who can guide you through, hey, this is how you set up your accounting. Here's a software you should think about using. Here's a platform you should use to maintain your customer records. If you don't have that, you're going through a lot of trial and error, trying to figure things out. Yeah. And so... uh, we, we were, again, very focused on everything outside of the capital itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over the years, what I then came to believe in and what caused the pivot in our work is that, again, while I think that education is always good, people can get more, more training, support, et cetera, that is not the fundamental cause of the access to capital problem that people are experiencing who are from historically excluded populations. It does not matter how, how much better they are, there is a systemic nature about the challenges with getting access to capital. So that is what caused a, a pivot in my personal work and in the work of our organization in 2018. Okay. We'll t- talk about but that. All of my work, all of the work of our organization has always been very high touch, hands on. So we get that call when the business owner is saying, I just don't know if I can keep doing this anymore. Oh, um, we get the call when someone says, oh my gosh, I have this contract opportunity and I don't know how to put together a proposal for this. Um, you know, can you take a look at uh, this? Can I just talk through this? Hey, the world seems to be caving in. Um, I feel suffocated. What do I do? So there's a lot of it that is just that emotional support, being that support system. Uh, We call it a support circle because many of the business owners that we support don't have that. As, As you know, being a business owner can be very, very, very lonely. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, can you give us some examples of the types of companies that um, entrepreneurs are running that, that you work with? It is the range from tech companies and people that are creating all kinds of platforms from um, tech platforms, female health, menstruation care, fintech platforms, mm-hmm. lots of different things on, on, on the tech side to businesses that are retail operations operating very locally. Gaming companies, uh, a guy who has a, a gaming uh, a truck where they uh, do video games um, and have competitions and things like that, and where he's even looking at franchising that concept. Gymnastic studios, a business owner that serves um, meals to seniors and disabled adults paid for through Medicaid. So we have the range. We're industry agnostic. We will work with businesses that are um, in any industry located anywhere. Uh, We do have a national footprint now. But the theme through the people that we support is generally that they have limited capital and other resources. 
So hiring expertise, even identifying the expertise that they that they could hire. They know that they have a business that they love and about which they are very passionate, but they're not sure of how to grow it, how to get it mm -hmm. to that next level. And people who often just don't have a robust support system around them. That's really, those are the central right. themes and attributes tying together the community that we serve. All right. So you had mentioned something uh, happened, was going along until 2018. What happened in 2018? Well, in 2018, we had a longtime strategic partnership that came to an end. And there were just some circumstances around that, that for the very first time made me acknowledge and, and really think about the intersectionality of race and gender before mm -hmm. I had much more focused on issues related to race and the exclusion related to race. And in this particular instance, I felt that gender was a factor as well. And as I worked my way through that situation, I looked at how I did that. And it was mainly through my, my network of contacts, my relationships, where I was able to make phone calls and ask for advice, ask for support. And I had people who were all too happy to provide support and whatever assistance they could. And I said, oh my gosh, wow. If I didn't have Harvard and Goldman Sachs and live in the neighborhood where I live and have the network that I have, how would I have worked through that? And I said, that's the challenge for so many people. And even when you look to look at access to capital and angel investors, and I know we're going to get to that conversation in a minute, yeah. um, but when you look at angel investors, people have to know you, they have to like you, and they have to trust you. That is the basis for people investing money, time, or any other resource in you. And so we really pivoted our work toward that and, and to, to engaging people who have tremendous networks. And again, I know that I am very blessed and privileged to have been able to develop the network that I have. And so I want to use that and extend that to people who don't have that mm -hmm. and engage others who say that they value diversity, equity, inclusion, and want to see change. Our goal now is to engage all the people who are saying that, let's do something about it. Let's, we, we want to activate those people to extend their networks to people who do not have that, who they're able to meet through our connections. I see. Yeah. Love that uh, focus on action and execution. There's there's nothing that is a substitute for that. There are lots of ideas around, but the the actual um, implementation of them is something that that's much harder and more rare. I want to get into the acquisition. I just w want to um, make one comment. So Natalia Oberti Noguera is the founder of Pipeline Angels. She's a longtime member of the Ivory Lunch Advisory Board. We've known her for many years. We've interviewed her on this podcast. And Eiffel just acquired Pipeline Angels. And I want to know if you can walk us through that, but maybe bring us behind the scenes and tell us um, how did that how did that deal happen? It happened, I again go back to connections. There was someone who was a very early Pipeline Angels member who started her journey and became a super angel and, and one became a VC. 
um, mm-hmm. it started with Pipeline Angels. And as we at, at IFA had gotten into the angel space and started learning about it and encouraging more people to learn about it, that's how we learned initially about Pipeline Angels. Natalia and I were supposed to be on a panel together. Uh, this was in 2020, and mm-hmm. the panel never happened due to COVID, but it was through a mutual connection to be on that panel that she and I met. And then last year, when Natalia announced that she was looking for a new steward for Pipeline Angels, this uh, uh, super angel basically came to me and said, Jill, given what you're talking about related to access to capital and creating more diversity in the investor ecosystem, Pipeline Angels is, you know, there's an opportunity there. I'd like to bring you and Natalia together. And I said, sure, I've met Natalia, but we don't have a relationship as such. So yes, I would welcome that reconnection. And so they uh, brought us together. We had a conversation. And then I will say we were talking multiple times a week Mm. for a year plus. It first starting as conversations and then it was discussion and then dialogue, which all moved into negotiations, essentially. It was an interesting process. This now has made her an exited founder. So that's very exciting for her, for us. That's a proud moment, um, Mm -hmm. being able to create that opportunity for someone. And it's just super exciting. And again, it goes back to my days at Goldman Sachs, this is not something I ever would have considered or thought was possible had I not had that early exposure to that world. Right. So it's all about, again, exposure, connections, um, and people knowing your intentions. Um, you know, the, the person who brought us together might not have even ever thought to bring us together had I not expressed my intentions about where I wanted to go and my vision. So I would say that that's something that is really important is for people to share their vision and where they're trying to go so that as their network is out there, their network can look for opportunities. Yes. So interesting because we tell people who are relaunching their careers who are not going the entrepreneurial route that they need to be very, very clear on exactly what they want to do now that they're coming out of their career break because they have to be able to tell other people in detail what that is in order for other people to help them. And I'm hearing a a direct parallel here about people having to be able to articulate this entrepreneurial vision to even have the conversation and have that lead to something else. So Wow, what a great illustration of exactly uh, your point. Let's see here. So, Jill, can you, you've told us a lot about Eiffel. Um, Can you tell us how our listeners can find out more about Eiffel? Is there a website? Are there other resources where, um, where, where they can learn more? Absolutely. We have our website, which is we are Eiffel, W E A R E I. F as in Frank, E-L as in Larry, dot O-R-G. We are Eiffel dot O-R-G. That has connections. You can find out about the entire organization and the connections to our different programs and brands. We have Small Businesses Need Us, which is skills-based volunteerism. And that's a great opportunity actually for some of the listeners to this. Uh, If they think they want to 
dip a toe in the water and and just use their their skills maybe they're not ready to fully relaunch just yet but they want to keep their skills fresh and engage um that's a great way to do it we have um uh, our women of color connecting initiative that's all about connecting and that's not connecting just women of color it is really connecting all people for the purpose of driving inclusion so it's bringing people together to uh, whose paths would never have crossed to diverse to create more diversity in their respective networks we have the making of black angels which is around driving investor inclusion and again that is to help all people to learn and understand why getting involved in the investor ecosystem is so important especially for people from historically excluded populations and then we now have pipeline angels so that is really about investor training and getting people involved who want to learn more about angel investing in an inclusive way and mm -hmm. using their dollars to drive the change that they seek in the world. Mm. All right, good, because I was going to ask you to elaborate a little bit on Pipeline Angels and to spell your website, and you did both uh, with, without me even asking you, so thank you. One thing that I really appreciated you mentioning was this opportunity for relaunchers to do essentially what we call strategic volunteering, but it could also be exploratory to go in there and uh, volunteer and work with different businesses if you're trying to even define what your relaunch is going to look like or you're picking right. between options. So thank you. That, that's a great opportunity. Is it everything in person or does anything happen virtual? No, it's actually all virtual, which is what makes it super easy that you can volunteer and participate from wherever you are. And what we see is that and, and I also want to make clear is that we have opportunities that are just two hours. So it's not that you have to commit to these long-term assignments. It can be two hours with a business owner, helping them to do financial projections. Just, and you know, we provide the, the templates and materials. It could be helping to give them pointers on their website. It is amazing the difference that you can make by sharing the expertise that you have and that you're utilizing every day, um, mm -hmm. or maybe you haven't utilized it in a while, this is an opportunity to do that. And we just hear from volunteers how gratifying it feels for them to be able to use their knowledge to make a difference for someone else. It could really just unlock a, a whole lot of potential in that business. Yes, relaunchers, I hope you're all listening, especially since this is virtual and the, the opportunities that Jill are, is talking about is something that you could realistically do. So please remember to check that out. So Jill, we need to wrap up now. This has been a great conversation. I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? My best advice for relaunchers is to be open, to be open to the journey. It's very easy for all of us. And I was one of those people that had life completely scripted from the time that I was a teenager. And you figure out that sometimes it just does not go the way that you plan. It's great to have a plan because that gives you a North Star, but you have to be open to what the opportunities are. And one of the things that I'm very proud of, and you know, I, I talked about the children early on, but 
all of our children have had not straight road paths to where they are today. And I think for me, just watching that, observing that, I have taken away that lesson to really be open to where the opportunities are that every time there's something that seems to be a roadblock or a barrier or something in your mind is negative, think about what is the opportunity in this and where could this lead me that I just wasn't thinking about before. So mm-hmm. whether you're, you're an entrepreneur or in a career or a, a large company, there are many paths to take that can lead you to where it is you're trying to go. Sometimes where you are trying to go may not even, may not be where you thought you wanted to go when you started. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Great advice, a great way to wrap up our conversation. Jill, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been my true pleasure to be here. So thank you. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Be sure to check out all the tools and resources we have for people who are relaunching careers after a career break on irelaunch.com uh, and sign up for our mailing list so you hear about return to work jobs and programs every single week. Thanks for joining us.